1: Well, hello. Chris Evans here with a special edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio and happiness guru Arthur C. Brooks. This guy is a genius. and What follows is a 25-minute express train of absolute gold if you're of a certain age. We're talking about sort of post-40-ish. He has proven with his social science that we get happy or at least should do with every decade past about the age of 47.2. And if you don't believe me, have a listen. He's a classical musician turned public policy analyst turned happiness expert. If that's not enough, he's just authored his 12th book, From Strength to Strength, which we've all read from cover to cover. And here to tell us more, it's king of the books, Arthur C. Brooks. (laughs) Nice,
0: Jane. Good morning, Arthur. Good morning, Chris. How are you? Um, The legendary Chris Evans.
1: Well, my goodness me, the legendary Arthur C. Brooks. So who's the guy on the plane? Come on. I can't tell you. Come
0: on. Oh, it would be indiscreet. (laughs) Besides, I'm adverse to lawsuits. (laughs) Right. uh, you don't know why am I referencing a man on a plane it's the man who changed my life it's uh, I was on a plane eight years ago I was the president of a a think tank, which for your listeners who don't know, that's a a research organization, like a university without students in Washington, D.C. It was a a CEO traveling around feeling like a real big shot, but I didn't have any end game and I was feeling pretty insecure. I was 50 years old thinking, where does this end? What am I supposed to do with my life? And I heard a man behind me on the plane explain to his wife, I could tell he was elderly. He was speaking to, I, I assumed it was his wife, explaining that he might as well be dead and his wife saying, oh, it's not true. And he said, nobody remembers me anymore. And I thought, oh, this poor guy. He's been forgotten. He probably actually never amounted to much. He's disappointed. The lights went on at the end of the flight, and everybody stood up. And I turned around. He was one of the most famous men in the world. <laughs> a hero, a great man doing 10 times with his life as much as me. And I thought to myself, what is my plan so I will not be explaining to my long-suffering wife, Esther, some 30 or 40 years hence, that I might as well be dead, And I put together a plan as a social scientist, my retirement plan for happiness, which is this book.
1: Um, And it's amazing. So thanks to him. Imagine if you hadn't got on the flight. I think you'd have probably arrived at a similar point anyway, don't you?
0: It's hard to say. You need a catalytic event. You know, some people get sick. Some people lose somebody that they love. It's usually a trying thing, but you're on a particular path. You need an inflecting experience that'll...
1: Okay. Uh, Your book uh, starts with some great phrases. Uh, None of this is easy. It's hard to teach an old striver new tricks because we we think we're meant to strive and therefore we become a striver and then we feel like we're running out of striving juice, as it were, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. The problem is that what makes you good is not something that you can maintain. And, you know, there's a lot of, I'm a social scientist. I teach happiness at Harvard University, believe it or not. And, you know, people ask, what do you teach? They And I say happiness, they think of lying. How can that possibly be? us only Americans, right, could have a subject like this. And one of the things that you find is that what people who are real strivers, hard workers, excellent people, my students, you, a lot of people listening to us who really want to do a lot with their lives. They get better and better and better in their 20s and 30s, but things start to get harder in their 40s and 50s. And this has to do with the structure of intelligence there's a thing called fluid intelligence that gets better in your 20s and 30s and worse in your 40s and 50s and if you don't understand that you're going to have a lot of frustration facing you you need to get on a second intelligence curve and that's what this book is really all about your happiness retirement plan requires getting on your second curve so that's crystallized Exactly right. Okay. Which comes in your 40s and 50s, stays high in your 60s and 70s, but it's a different set of skills and you need a different set of disciplines in your life to get there.
1: Now, I sense this happiness that you're talking about, the second wave, the second curve. And we've been talking about it all morning ahead of you coming in and we've had loads of reaction already. And we've been playing clips from your friendship, Connor on Richard's podcast. Um, I feel... Like it's a, it's a, I wouldn't say a better happiness because that's too judgmental and too pejorative on my former years and other people in uh, of similar ages. But it feel it feels um, uh, more wholesome. Mm. It feels more holistic, and you you speak to that in your book as well. But is that because I'm just so darn relieved that it's still okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it has a lot to do with the fact that your second happiness curve, your second success curve, has everything to do with serving others and having better relationships with other people. Your first, your fluid intelligence curve, where you're excellent at what you're doing, you're an individual, you're a ninja, you're a, you know, you're you're like a, a, a big star, a cowboy. You know, this is how we like to think of it in the states, at least. You come up and you and later, when it starts to diminish, you got to get on the second curve, which is your otherness curve. You're wisdom curve your teacher it's your Dalai Lama curve basically Chris you're on your Dalai Lama curve no wonder you're happy
1: <laughs> it's so funny because we have um, two ladies who invented the AstraZeneca vaccine in tomorrow because they've got uh-huh. their book out and the first person blurbing on that book is me and the first blurbing on your book is in fact the Dalai Lama yeah. and therein lies the difference. <laughs> um, how the heck do you get him to blurb your book?
0: Yeah, I, for the last 10 years I have a very close and loving relationship with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. He's been my teacher and mentor and friend. We've written together many times and we've done a lot of public events together when I when I talked to him about this particular book he was happy. Now, it is the calmest blurb ever by the way the Dalai Lama doesn't say this book changed my life, how could it? He says Arthur <laughs> Imagine Brooks, if he did. Arthur Brooks has written a book about how we how we grow and change which is pretty descriptive and calm but he's the Dalai Lama.
1: He is the Dalai Lama. How did you forge that relationship with him?
0: Well, I was thinking some years ago about the people that I wanted to know to 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 really to project myself into the future and to to be able to I'm a happiness guy. I want want to get a bigger audience. I want to start a movement of people around the world who are obsessed with happiness for themselves and for other people. Who do I need to know? And so I wrote to His Holiness the Dalai Lama, to his team, and said, if I come to Dharamsala in the Himalayan foothills, to your monastery, will you see me? And he said, yes. And so I actually went there, went to, you know, Delhi and then Amritsar and then drove up six hours. I almost hit a goat. And when I finally got to (laughs) Dharamsala and he saw me for an hour, we had this beautiful meeting of the minds and we've been friends ever since.
1: You have a real stillness about it and you also have a real lightness of touch, you know, and that's really important when getting any kind of message across, especially the the message of happiness. If people come and see you at Harvard, can can they spend like three years on a happiness degree? How does it work? Well, I teach
0: happiness at the Harvard Business School, which is really the craziest thing. You'd think that I was teaching supply chain management or something incredibly practical like that. But I get this students in their last semester before they graduate and go work, become titans of private equity and hedge funds and all that important stuff. And they're realizing that they're actually not on a trajectory to be happy. They're on a trajectory to be rich and powerful and and perhaps famous, but not necessarily happy. And that is a big skill that's lacking. And so I put in their, their toolkit this happiness plan, so that each decade of their life, they have a fighting chance of actually becoming happier people, not just richer and more powerful people. And it's it's one of the most it's one of the most popular classes at Harvard at this point because people are recognizing how important that is for their lives.
1: I mean, that is fantastic, isn't it? Because when you're that young, you you feel like you can conquer the world anyway, yeah. hopefully at least. And you'd think that your class be swimming against the tide. So in many ways, they are showing sort of. Um, uh, wisdom ahead of their own curve, aren't yeah. they? To, to, to be to be willing to listen to that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, they're actually showing fear, is what motivates a lot of people. What they're finding is that they're getting their their dreams are starting to come true. I mean, a lot of these people are these big strivers as kids. You know, they're they they're sort of objectified by their parents as the special one, perfect marks, in, in these private schools, and then they go on to the best university in, in in the United States, perhaps in the world, and then the best business school, and and they recognize they're actually not getting happier, and they recognize that what they're doing. Probably won't bring them the satisfaction. It's putting them on this treadmill of more, 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 more. And so I have to explain certain ideas like your satisfaction doesn't come from what you have, it's what you have divided by what you want. You don't need, as you get older, to have more. You need to want less. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow when you're going to business school, but once they absorb that, it can be really life-changing.
1: I mean, you, you say you say the Rolling Stones were sort of ahead of the game, and they almost got it right, but they they, they got a little bit wrong, yeah. didn't they? So what was the nuance there?
0: The, who got a little bit wrong? I can't get no satisfaction. Yeah, I can't yeah, keep yeah, my yeah, satisfaction. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Mick Jack, it's an interesting thing. During the coronavirus epidemic, when I was locked down in my house in suburban Boston, and my little girl who was a senior in high school? She was 18 at the time. I find her not in Zoom school, you know the sorry excuse for school that we. <laughs> she was actually laughing uproariously at the, at the kitchen table, looking at a YouTube video. I said, "Honey, what are you looking at?" And she said, "I'm watching a video of an of an old man dancing like a chicken and trying to sing." And I thought, "Well, I'm not above looking at somebody making an idiot of himself on the internet because I'm a shallow person." So I come in to look at the video. It's Mick Jagger, friends. Mick Jagger, <laughs> who is in a 2017 performance of "I Can't Get No of satisfaction he's like a hundred at this point right and she didn't know who he was and she said do you people like this by which she meant old people <laughs> Older people and i took great umbrage at that but then but then she said why is it popular and i said it's the message now it's not quite right it's not true that you can't get no satisfaction if only because then you wouldn't keep searching for it and wasting your life the problem is you can't keep no satisfaction you can get it but it's evanescent. It's elusive. It, it, you know, we all know that new car smell, it goes away you move to California for the weather and six months later, you're just as depressed, but the taxes are forever. Yeah. I mean, life is tricky that way, and so we're looking for these goals, but we can't keep that satisfaction. The way to deal with that is not a have-more strategy, it's to want less.
1: Yeah, so satisfaction uh, is fueled by the um, by the fundamentals of dopamine. Dopamine is the molecule of more, and good luck with that.
0: Exactly right. It's the, it's the molecule of anticipation of more. It doesn't even give you a payoff. Yeah. It just makes you run, 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 run on the treadmill.
1: So I'm with you. So I want to want um, less. I want to uh, want uh, not much at all, but I'm now having, I've now fallen into the trap, and you know about this, of having to manage my lessness. Yeah. Which again is a desire.
0: Oh, for sure. Isn't it? No, no, absolutely. So So
1: desiring less is still a desire. It's still an attachment.
0: and so The the attachment. So the key is non-attachment. And there's all kinds of ways to do this. By the way, the idea of, of attachments only to physical things is a big mistake. You know, I have a, I have an exercise as a, as, a, as a happiness specialist. I have an exercise on my birthday. My birthday was three days ago, by the way. Happy I turned, birthday. Thank you very much. I turned 58 years old and I, I still, I, boy, oh boy, I feel great, I have to say, but I look in the mirror and, uh, and I realize that, that, <laughs> that, the, that the years are passing. And and on my birthday, I used to have a bucket list for the, your listeners who don't know. It's a very American concept. You take, you, you, you look at all your cravings and all of your goals and attachments to fire up your ambition. Basically, it just makes you feel like a loser for all yeah. the things you haven't done. Now, I have a reverse bucket list where I make a list of all of the things to which I'm attached and make a strategic plan for detaching myself from them. So a few years ago, for example, on my birthday, I gave away three quarters of my clothes. But that wasn't hard enough. So last year, I gave away half of my political opinions. Now that's a kind of a non-attachment. And think about this: it's basically to say, I just I made a list of all the things I really, really cared about politically. I said I don't care about that anymore. I'm going to listen to people who disagree with me more. I'm telling you, Chris, I'm free. It's like it's taking an anvil off my shoulders. I know.
1: Reserve the right to have no opinion.
0: Oh, it's just unbelievable.
1: You don't or, need to have an opinion. You
0: don't. You don't have to be freaked out and fired up about absolutely everything. It's you know, it's the great thing about being here in the UK is I hear people that you know families breaking apart about Brexit, and I can say, oh, interesting, interesting arguments on both sides. Yeah, exactly.
1: Because so, it's not happening to you. It's so easy, much more easy to sort of spectate and almost enjoy. Yeah, and now
0: I can do that in the States because I gave away half of my political opinions. I
1: love that. So there's the bucket list. There's the... Effort list, and then there's the chuck it list. So yeah. you can, so you're chucking it out. Is yeah, what you're doing. that's
0: the reverse bucket list. Exactly right. Oh, I
1: love it. Um, can you uh, speak to my favourite um, uh, social social experiment of all time? Do you remember the one the where they studied the the men um, of all different demographics um, over decades and decades and decades, and the conclusions from that, and the TED talk from that? The, oh,
0: so this is, a, this is a study from the, it's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. It's amazing. This is a, an 84-year longitudinal study starting in the late 1930s of men who were graduating from Harvard University. They blended it with a sample of people who didn't go to college, and then it became more demographically representative. So it wasn't just white men. It was men and women and people of all different races. And they tracked them all the way until they died. 17 members of the study are actually still alive, of the hundreds and hundreds they started with. But then their kids and grandkids, and it's unbelievable how much data they have. And they have a, a list of the things of the people who wound up healthy and happy. This is what we want. That quadrant of both healthy and happy. What did they all do? And some of it was obvious. I mean, don't smoke cigarettes. I mean, who doesn't know that at this point? Don't drink to excess. And if you're worried about it, don't drink at all. Make sure that you're getting plenty of exercise. And the way to do this is walk an hour a day. But look, your grandmother could have told you that. But, but the really interesting things come in. You should read for an hour a day. You should find a way to deal with your problems so you're not ruminating on them if you need help go see a go see a therapist whatever that happens but the number one thing on a walk is love happiness is love full stop and that means all kinds of love love for the divine if you're a religious person certainly love for your family because of brexit don't break down with your family that is insanity that is stepping over hundred dollar bills to get to nickels it is the dumbest thing that you can possibly do is to have family breakdown over politics it's idiotic the third thing is real friendship. We all know the difference between real friends and deal friends. And as real strivers, you know, the people are listening to us that are, you know, busting their picks 16 hours a day. Tons of deal friends. Do you have real friends? You know the difference. And finally, making sure that your work serves your fellow humans. Love for the divine. Love for your family. Love for your friends. Love through people through work. That's the secret of happiness.
1: It's all in the book. Um, so there's falling in love, but as you get into your second curve. Um, real joy is staying in
0: love. Yeah, it certainly is, and especially in, when I talk about romance, one of the there are two things that my students always come to talk to me about in office hours. You know, they come to say, "Professor Brooks, <laughs> you know, I'm reading all these neuroscience papers, and that's really, really great, and all that, but tell me how to fall in love and stay in love." And the second is actually, what should I do about my religious life? Because they're all kind of on this spiritual journey, which is actually really important, of course. On the religion, on the on the falling in love part, it's interesting. I do a lot of research on internet dating and about. About these patterns from Millennials and and the fact is Millennials in the States but also here in the UK are 30 percentage points less likely to say that they are in love than people were in their 20s when you and I were in our 20s now Chris that's catastrophic you know, we, what what's the point for, of it?
1: For them or for us? For, it's for the for the
0: civilization. I mean, it's like, the the point of being in your twenties is falling in love. What else is there know, in your twenties? Everything else is a pretext to, you know, give you the time and means to fall in love. And when there's less marriage, there's less cohabitation, there's less love, there's less romantic love. You got big problems. And so I talk to them about all the things that are going wrong. Internet dating is. is is catastrophic it's matching people with too much political compatibility it's got no complementarity between people nobody's is, is talking about what the real secret to love is not just passion it's it's admiration it's respect it's friendship is really what comes down to it and a lot of young people today they don't actually know how to make friends so how are they actually going to fall in love i mean that my best friend is my wife esther i mean she actually understands me she she loves me despite me. She cherishes and tolerates you. It's the craziest thing ever. Yeah, I have no idea how she accomplishes that, but just because we're best friends, like actually.
1: It. We're racing through the book, but we have to. Uh, this book is amazing. From Strength to Strength, Arthur C. Brooks, New York Times, best-selling author. We've all read this book cover. We couldn't put it down. We've all made notes. Here comes the next one. Tell us about play dates for the OGs. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the old-timers, one of the biggest problems that you have, if you're a, an aging striver <laughs> and you have lots and lots of deal friends, you may not have the real friend Chops anymore and so I meet a lot of guys in the United States the the loneliest people are 60 year old men I mean, you'd think that as a 60-year-old man, you'd have some skills when it comes to friends. Uh-uh, not so much. I mean, I meet people, who, especially those who work really hard, that don't have any real friendships. And so you find that they retire and they're desperately lonely. So what happens is that there's this movement, actually started here in the UK, also in Australia, but in, in the United States, sort of the Anglosphere, I guess, called called men's sheds. It's 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 actually kind of depressing, but it's, it's a good idea that's behind it, where they have these sheds, these uh, tool sheds or, or craft sheds in these neighborhoods, and women... Women with their retired husbands will just take them there and leave them there with other guys. Well, they'll, you know, they'll build a birdhouse together or something. These guys that they've never met. Because what happens? Women bond largely over conversations about their feelings. Men have to men the most mysterious thing ever is your feelings like chris how are you feeling it's like what i don't know you know i have, I have what do you mean i have sons you know it's a, my, my middle son he's a he's a he's a marine special forces this guy's a tough hombre six foot five covered in tattoos he can kill you with his pinky finger but he cannot tell you how he feels it's compl- His that's that's mysterious to him it's, it's like you know the, one of the mysteries of the universe so what happens these guys go through life never being able to figure this out so but they they need friendship because we all need this kind of platonic love so what do you do you have to have shared activities and if you've never done that before your these sheds your wife takes you there and say you can't come out till you've built a birdhouse with your friend bill yeah and and it turns out to be the salve on the soul for these guys. They ha- they start becoming ha- happier. Strange. Yeah,
1: as long as it works, it doesn't matter how it works. I don't think. Uh, so let's slip and slide towards the spiritual via intrinsic versus extrinsic goals.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. It's uh, this is there's a lot of research that shows that that we have a tendency to think. And on the first day of class <clears throat> at my, my MBA students, 27 years old, Harvard University, I say, what would make you remarkably happier as a person? And they talk about things happen. To them, they talk about I get the, I, the the woman I'm in love with agrees to marry me if if they have that relationship. They talk about if I get that job that pays really well, if I finish my degree with honors, whatever it happens to be. And I say, wrong. Why? Because circumstances don't last for your happiness. Again, you can't keep no satisfaction. That's the nature of the brain. It's a phenomenon called homeostasis. There's an actual neuroscientific reason for that. That goes back to the Pleistocene. Why you can't keep no satisfaction? So what do you need to do? You need to look inward for your satisfaction, not externally. Extrinsic rewards are looking to the outside world to bring you happiness. Intrinsic rewards are all about love. They're all about relationships. They're all about the the satisfactions that come that you manufacture inside your own heart and inside your own soul. And you find that people who say that my ambitions are about having better relationships with my kids, with my parents, with my friends, with the people that I love romantically, they're the ones 10 years later who have fewer physical maladies. They have less depression. They have less anxiety. But the ones who say, I'll be happy if I'm the CEO. Woe be unto them.
1: So if you tap your own well of love and care and gratitude, that that for then forever flows. Doesn't absolutely, it?
0: absolutely, Chris, you have got it. You nailed it. And and the question is, <clears throat> can people do that before they're our age? <laughs> it's a it's a <laughs> maybe tricky you're thing. not allowed.
1: It's like the rite of passage of of, of you know the younger generations. You know, back, like the Beatles couldn't help themselves. They wrote like three or four hits every week. And, and right. as, as, as certain artists get older, they they can't. That, you know, they can't get arrested in the charts. It's just it's just what you're allowed to do. It's recognizing um, what nature wants to give you at particular times, not getting caught on one particular perch mm. and being happy to flow down the river, but you still have your, your own paddle,
0: if you like. Exactly right. And this is the nature of what we started talking about earlier. Look, you've got your fluid intelligence that makes you a big star, a striver that can achieve innovation, creativity, focus. But later in life, it really is all about the relationships, the wisdom, the teaching, the way that you can work with other people. And when you cultivate that, if you can go from Mark Zuckerberg to the Dalai Lama, boy, that's the trick. If you can walk from one curve to the next. But every single person listening to us, when they get into their 40s, they're going to notice that what used to be easy gets harder and things that. Are relational, they're instructional. The things that you can share your wisdom, those things weirdly start getting easier. Start moving your career, start moving your life to those skills, and you will get happier.
1: Yeah, and I think the discomfort is more palpable as you get older because you, you know, know thyself, your true nature, you know, comes shining through, and you're thinking, you know, I'm getting this wrong, but it's because you're feeling more right.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And a lot of people they they, they regret the fact that things have gotten harder. They feel ashamed of the fact that some of these skills tend to be waning and they shouldn't be doing that they should be celebrating the fact that their life is changing they're getting the consolations of age you know left to our devices if we actually live on this second curve we we will get happier look everybody listening to us here's my guarantee don't leave it up to chance if you use the skills correctly you can be happier at 75 than you were at 25 you actually can do that but you must cultivate the skills that actually come with age
1: yeah and you're not selling snake oil here because you know you, you have a you know have a dog in the race you have some skin in the game with your book but yeah. this is you're not trying to get us sign up for some lucrative online course you're just saying it's there take
0: it yeah absolutely you know this is this is free for all God gave it, to Edmund, it. Edmund, all it. of it. it's just the most beautiful thing I have to say and and I'm 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 58 and I'm actually looking forward to 78 yeah. because I did the research. I ate my own cooking. <laughs> yeah. I, I did this for three. I actually started working on this project for three years. Recipes. I actually did, and and I didn't. I wasn't even going to publish this as a book, but my wife found my notes. I was doing I was doing this research on myself to see if I could get happier, and she found the notes. And said you should send this to your agent. Yep. I said oh, I I don't know. And turns out there are a lot of people who want to be happier. Weird, best, right?
1: Yeah, the best research is me search, which ends up thank you to people like yourself as research. so yeah. we're gonna take all that um, we get to Buddhism of course we get to Buddhism yeah. uh, and we get my favorite chapter is the chapter about India mm. and the four different seasons we've got two minutes left do what you want with those
0: yeah well one of the things that you find in in, in the, the the great Indian gurus they say that life is in four quarters the, the student phase early on called brahmacharya the householder phase where you're building your career called grihasta and your family but the third and fourth phases of the magic phases of life starting sometime in 45 or 50 vanaprastha which means retiring into the forest from two words in Sanskrit. and You don't have to literally retire into the forest, but you need to back away from your worldly ambitions and start to think about the sources of your true joy so that you can get to that fourth quarter, which is sannyasa, enlightenment, one in being with Brahman, the creator. And you figure out what that means for you, but the bottom line is you got to do the work. And the work is intensely about you, about becoming non-attached, about wanting less, about loving more. If you want less stuff, If you want and you pursue more love, Vana Prastha will be yours and sannyasa is your future.
1: Yeah, and the whole thing is, you know, if you want less, it means you have some stuff. And yeah. So if you want less, all you have to do is discard it. And there's that whole thing about being tethered in a hot air balloon. Yeah. You know, you, to, for that balloon to rise, you don't have to expend more hot air. You just got to cut those lines.
0: Exactly right. And again, there's nothing wrong with stuff. The problem is basically loving stuff. Yep. There's nothing wrong with with having a relationship with people that's in terms of business, but don't use people. Here's how I end the book The world tells you to, use people love things and worship yourself and it's all wrong you need to take the verbs and nouns and mix them up you should use things that's fine love people only and worship
1: the divine and the future is yours wow um, congratulations! Thank goodness your wife found your notes.
0: Yeah, <laughs> know. who knows what else she's found? But I'm, I'm,
1: a, I'm. What was she looking man. for? That's the question. <laughs> Why was she rooting around there in the first place? That's what I want to know. Um, you're on with our pal Rich Roll in a couple of weeks. Have you recorded that podcast? Yeah, I've yet?
0: recorded that podcast already. Rich Roll's phenomenal because he's somebody who's truly on his second curve, and uh-huh. he's a, he's a, he's an example to all of us. I've been a long time fan of Rich's and now a friend.
1: You know, and the second the second curve is all is it's a metaphor. It's a reflection of the resurrection isn't it yeah. That's that's the thing there isn't
0: it sure is you um, sure are doing a lot right, Chris are you happier and happier as the years go by
1: happier as the seconds go by
0: It's crazy, isn't it
1: Yeah and that whole thing about Michael a singer you know keep 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 the heart open because yeah. you know if the doors closed nothing can get through and if the doors just keep open keep them release relax relax and release How many
0: decades have you been in the business this business yeah it's
1: coming up for four.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an obviously we. I mean, we know you across the pond.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, let's let's have that discussion off the air, purely because we're running out of time. Because my favourite subject is me, uh, uh, unless it's you, of course. Thank you. And uh, now it's we. Uh, yeah, it is. Arthur oh, the Seabrooks, New York Times bestselling author. Gotta get this book from generation. Thank you so much, Arthur. Thank you, Chris. Great thank being you, with you. Thank you, Vasos. Uh, thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Team. And uh, we'll see you all on Wednesday. Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening. And if you do like what you're hearing, please remember to rate this episode and review it. And also, why not listen back to some of our other podcasts from Dawn French and even Matthew McConaughey. All right. Adios. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.